Well, I am super excited to finally reach door number four. This door series has been in my spirit, on my mind for a couple of years. And finally, I felt the release to present this. And it's been, uh, it's been really creative. I'm, I'm so grateful for our creative team for putting together uh, the graphics and the video and everything and helping with the stage props. Having those visuals really helps in a series such as this. And so we've already talked about three doors and we're going to finally focus in on door number four. And this really all comes from a verse that is in Revelation 3.20. Now, Revelation is not going to be my, my main passage of Scripture. I'm actually going to be in Mark uh, chapter 10 and also Luke chapter 7, mostly in Luke 7. Those are my two passages of Scripture. But we see in Revelation 3.20, as Jesus is speaking to the church at Laodicea. Laodicea was an area that's in now in, in present-day Turkey. And so Jesus spoke this. It's red letters in the book of Revelation. In John, the, uh, the disciple John, in his vision called Revelation, and there are several churches, there's seven of them, and Laodicea is one of them. And so Jesus, in his talk to Laodicea, he says this verse he says this statement that's really powerful. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now, the reason why I believe this verse is so profound is because it doesn't say, behold, I open the door and here I am. You know, it's kind of like, you know, Kramer entering in on uh, Seinfeld, right? Hey, I'm here. That's not how Jesus does it. He knocks on the door of our hearts, and he doesn't open the door. We are the ones that open the door. In fact, there's an old painting that you see of uh, this classical painting of, of Jesus standing at, at a door and knocking and you see on, you really just see one side of the door, this, the side of the door that Jesus is on. But one thing that's really interesting about that painting is that there's no doorknob on the side of the door where Jesus is standing. Why? Jesus doesn't open the door. We're the ones that open the door. He only knocks on the door of our hearts. Now, he does that in a wide variety of ways. Maybe there's someone in your life that God has put you and he is speaking to you through that person. Or there could be a circumstance, an incident. Um, some people would even say tragedy draws uh, closer attention to the knocking of our heart's door. And so, oftentimes, circumstances is a way that Jesus is trying to get our attention. Wide variety of ways, but we do know this, that the church at Laodicea, Jesus is trying to get their attention. And here's the reason why. Laodicea had three doors that they were dealing with. This door right here, door number one, was a door of self-sufficiency. The Laodiceans were known to be to have wealth, to have abilities, and leadership. They were very self-sufficient. 
They depended on themselves, and this penetrated into the church. And so they really didn't need a Jehovah Jireh, a God who can provide for their needs. They really didn't need that because they had everything they needed. In fact, this door would only open in a dire emergency. They had it all together. Self-sufficiency. Millions of people in our world never opened the heart's door to Jesus because they just don't need him. They have everything they need. They are self-sufficient. So that's door number one. The Laodiceans also had door number two. It's the door of shame. They, Laodiceans were, were known to, to be a, a textile industry, specifically with wool. And so they would make wool to cover themselves. And, and it's, it's there in the letter that Jesus, that Jesus uh, speaks and that John writes in the vision. And so Jesus says, you, you may make wool, you may be known for this, but you are spiritually naked. I want to clothe you in, in clothes of white, which represents righteousness. So just like Adam and Eve who hid in the garden, once they realized their shame, we often hide behind this door of shame. This door is marked on the inside. It's marked with, with things like claw marks and it's really dirty and filthy. But Jesus longs to take this door and with the, with the blood he shed on the cross be able to say, look, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what's been done to you, whether it's your fault or not. If you, even if you were a victim, which I know that's a lot of people, you don't have to hide behind your door of shame. You see, millions of people never open that door because they don't, wanna, they don't want Jesus to see what's inside. They don't want Jesus to find out what's happening. But can I tell you something? Jesus already knows. God already knows. And guess what? He already died for you. He knew from the beginning. He knew when, you, when he created you in your mother's womb what, 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 what you would face, what you would do. But he still loved you so much. He died for you. And so many people never open that door because of shame. And then the Laodiceans also had the third door, known as skepticism, blind skepticism. It's really interesting that the Laodiceans had this uh, medical school, as we were told by, by biblical scholars and historians. They produced an eye ointment known to cure some eye diseases. So they were, they were known for helping people to see better, but yet Jesus said, you're spiritually blind, you are spiritually blind and you are skeptic. Symbolically speaking, if the Laodiceans applied this spiritual eye ointment Jesus offered, they would be able to see the lukewarmness condition and to ultimately repent. But they were lukewarm. 
They didn't see. They couldn't see. They didn't want to. They were skeptic to what God could do in their life. Many people, millions of people are skeptic to the gospel. And you know what? Over the years, the church, the whole church, the bride of Christ, has not really done an amazing job over the past several years of helping people be relieved of their skepticism and their spiritual blindness. They don't want, they don't want anything to do with Christianity. I mean, they are boarding it up. They don't want it. Maybe they've been hurt by the church, which happens. It does. Or they have seen other people that have been put on a pedestal of leadership instead of God being put there or Jesus being put there. And because of that, when they do fall, then they're skeptic of really what a a relationship with Jesus looks like. I hope you never, ever, and if you do, I will correct this. Do not ever put the pastor of Lake Point Church in that position. Because let me tell you something. I can fall just as fast as you can. There's nothing special about me. I'm saved by grace. I walk with Jesus like you walk with Jesus. I spend time with him. It's only by his grace I continue in my faith. And I'm grateful for that. But know this. There are people who are blind skeptics because of things happening in their life and things that's happened to them. And so whether it's a door of self-sufficiency or the door of shame or the door of skepticism, there's lots of reasons not to open the door. But we finally come to the fourth door. What kind of faith does it take to open this final door? This door, it's a happy door. It, it brings a smile to your face. It's, 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 it's a real door. It's authentic. So let's look at Mark chapter 2. I've got about just a few verses here. Mark chapter 2, ver, uh, 10. Sorry, Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. And I want to read this, and I want you to see what it takes, the kind of faith that it takes to open this door. Mark 10 13, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He was kind of upset about that. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now listen to this. Truly, I tell you. Now, when Jesus says that, That's an announcement. Like, make note of that. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Man, that's that's a pretty powerful statement. 
I mean, that's an important statement. To enter heaven, eternal life, to come to Jesus. I mean, yeah, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Jesus, but Jesus is giving us some more information. <laughs> hey, you, in order to come through this door to eternal life and to heaven, you've got to enter it as a child would. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. So, you're like, okay. Does that mean, Frank, that I've, I've got to act like a child? No. Does it say to act like a child or to be childish? We don't need to be childish. We need to be childlike. And there's a big difference. Not childish, but childlike. And so what does it mean, and specifically for adults, maybe teenagers, young adults, old adults, what does it look like for an adult, a non-child, to come to Jesus like a child. What does that look like? Well, I believe we see that in our main passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 7. So if you would turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. So these verses here share a story that I believe we get to see how an adult, a non-child, comes to Jesus as a child. 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So get this picture. Jesus is sitting at a table. Now, this isn't like high-top table, chairs. This is low table to the ground. They got pillows around. They're, they're sitting on the floor. And Jesus is sort of reclining in that, but he, his feet are kind of behind him. He's kind of reclining, but his feet is kind of to the side and to the back of him. Right? And this woman is kind of behind him as there are probably other people behind other, uh, other people at this table watching, they're serving, that kind of stuff. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to uh, himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. So Simon is a, the Pharisee. Tell me, teacher, he said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, which is kind of rude. 
But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, which this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Greeting others with a, a, a kiss on the cheek is, is today like a, a hug, a strong handshake. You did not put oil on my, on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her love has shown... But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among them, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So, I want to bring out three characteristics today. Three simple characteristics and actions that show how this adult woman approached Jesus with a childlike faith. Now, it's easy for us to see how a child will come to Jesus. The child, the child who drew this on this door actually came to Jesus as a child and was baptized as a child. But it's more difficult sometimes for us to see how an adult would come to Jesus as a child. And if you are here today or watching online, you could be that adult thinking, I, I don't know how to come to Jesus as a child. Did I, did I miss my time? Did I miss my window to come to Jesus? <laughs> Should I have done that as a child? No, not at all. Just Jesus wants you to come to him as a child. So the first characteristics of a child that we see this woman show is trust. Trust. This is a very unique act. When was the last time you saw a woman crying so much that the tears wet the feet of someone and then they wiped the tears with their hair. You probably haven't seen that too much, have you? Well, I would imagine that that wasn't very common back then as well. And that was very common for someone to, to wash someone's feet because of the dust and the dirt and the ground. People wore sandals. But this, this woman, she trusted Jesus. She trusted him so much that she knew in her heart that Jesus would not ridicule her or think she is foolish for doing this. Weeping on her feet and with her hair, wiping the tears with her hair. And then even opening up expensive perfume and, and doing not, not water. People don't wash feet with perfume, especially ex expensive perfume. Water does the trick. But, but this woman trusted in Jesus that he was not going to ridicule her or make fun of her or treat her in such a way that would make her feel foolish. Do you know, I believe that adults don't come to Jesus because they, they just don't trust. They don't, 
They don't trust in what Jesus is going to do with them. When, uh, when some of our kids were young, we used to play this game. And it was called Get Back on That Couch. So basically, it would, it would be like this. Dad would be in the middle of the living room. We would have, you know, several, you know, couches, love seats, chairs in the living room. And dad would sort of be this ogre, right? And, and like growl in the ogre kind of voice. And he would, he would uh, reach out to the, the children. And literally, dad, I, I, would, I would take the children and I would throw them across the living room onto a couch, just whatever couch is close, you know, or far away sometimes. And the kids would love it. And they would fly through the air, land on the couch. Now, mama was more concerned about this. Like, would dad land the child on the couch or would dad throw his back out? You know, all of that kind of stuff. But the kids kept coming back for more and more and more. And the whole idea is they had to get past the ogre before the ogre grabbed them and threw them back on their couch. Get back on that couch. It's a great game. Nowadays, it's more, the game is, you know, help dad get off the couch, you know, uh, as I get older. Cannot throw them on the couch anymore. But it was, it was such a fun game, and I cannot wait to one day, you know, if I'm able to do this, have, you know, if we have grandchildren, I'm able to do the same thing. Get back on that couch, and it's going to be a great game. But here's, here's what's really fascinating about that, that game we played. The kids trusted me. They trusted me. To grab them by an arm and a leg and swing them a half a turn and just chunk them in the air. <laughs> they trusted me. And no one landed on their head on the floor. It's amazing. They trusted their dad. They trusted their father. To open this door, this door right here, to open this door, you need, you need the trust of a child. You need the trust of a child. You need to trust in what Jesus wants to do in your heart. You need to trust in the things that Jesus wants you to change. But God, I have to do this and this and this. It's okay. We're going to get there. It's okay. We're going to get there. And God is not a big ogre <laughs> like I played. But there are going to be times you're going to be like, man, I'm flying through the air, and I don't know where I'm going to land. But just know this. God's there, and he knows what he's doing. He's the one who created you, and he knows what to do with your heart and your life. Jesus wants to do incredible things with your life. You just got to trust in him. This lady, this woman, this sinful woman, probably hiding behind door number two, this sinful woman trusted in Jesus. That's how she came as a child. The second characteristic of a child that we see in this woman is transparency. Transparency. This woman is not hiding anything. You would think. Now, obviously, the, the Pharisee and other people in the room, I'm sure Jesus knew this as well. Everybody in the room knew 
that this woman lived a sinful life. Maybe some prostitution, whatever. And so, this woman, you would think that after the tears started falling, she'd just excuse herself and just scurry on out and go hide in her, in her home. But no, she decided to stay and be transparent. To be transparent. To be real. To be authentic. She's not hiding anything. She's not hiding anymore. She doesn't pretend to be someone she's not. She is a sinner who needs forgiveness and grace. She's leaving everything open and transparent. Do you know that children are transparent? Ooh, boy, are they. They are very transparent. Children are not really good at at hiding their flaws. And I'm talking about little children or their wrongdoings or their emotions. It's amazing how a mother can walk into a room where a child is and just by the look on the child's face, a mother knows instantly, oh, there's something up. Now, I, I would miss things all the time. I'd look at that. That's the same look on anything. But the, oh, a mother? A mother knows. Oh, and she would even, I mean, Suzanne would even like know exactly what that child did just by the look on the kid's face. It's amazing. I mean, I'm lucky to find my child. But kids are very transparent, not able to hide their emotions or wrongdoings uh, much. For example, how many of you have been, <laughs> how many of you have been to Walmart with a child and they say things that just totally embarrass you? Like, Dad, why is that person so fat? And they just speak it out. It's like, you know, we're just going to go over here, five aisles over here, and, you know, or just, you know, put a, you know, give an excuse for this child, you know, it's like, I, this child's not mine, you know, or whatever. I don't know whose child this is. You know, there's a child on aisle five that's missing. Or they, they just embarrass you. They're transparent. They just say whatever's on their mind. I may have shared this story before when, when Landon was little, just little, little. Didn't really say a whole lot of words. But we were, we were in a grocery store. It was just me and Landon, dad and boy, in the store shopping. Right, and I'm at the checkout line waiting for my turn. I got a few things in the shopping cart. Landon's sitting in the seat in the shopping cart. So we're kind of talking around. I'm kind of watching, see when I need to move up, and and then up behind us, this really tall man, built, you know, and he's wearing a cowboy hat, and Landon. Just little, little bitty toddler just looks at the guy, looks at me, looks at the guy. And you just hear Landon just say something, I mean, like, this could be his first words. Yeehaw. And I go, I just look at him, all right. <laughs> and then I was thinking maybe that was, that was it. Oh, no, we're just getting started. He does it again. 
a little bit louder and a little bit longer. Because you could do yee-haw for a long time. Yee-haw. And I kind of turn, look at the guy. He looks at me. I kind of smile. He doesn't. So, okay, son, yeah, that, he's a cowboy. That's good now. Let's go on. No, no, no. He does it longer, louder, until people within a hundred feet radius of us, you could hear the snickering going on and the laughter that's going on. And I'm just trying to get out of this situation because the cowboy who's six foot five behind me doesn't really think it's that funny. And so a child would do everything they can to kind of embarrass you or to be very transparent very open and very transparent. Children have no filter. They don't. This woman, she left her filter at home. She's like, no more pretending. No more pretending. I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to be transparent. This woman had no filter to make her sin and shame lifestyle more acceptable or accepting to Jesus. To open this door right here, this door number four, requires you to be transparent about everything. If you need to cry before Jesus, then let the tears flow. If you need to fall down on your knees, then fall down on your knees. Just do it. Just don't try to cover things up. Be transparent. Be transparent to Jesus. Jesus, no more pretending. No more pretending. I'm done with filters. And, 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 and Jesus is great with that. That's usually the point when people decide to say, you know, I'm tired of door number one, number two, number three. I've tried all that. Now I'm going to door number four. No more pretending. No more filters. This is who I am. And Jesus says, thank you. Finally, we can do some work in your heart. So we've learned from this adult who's been childlike to come to Jesus, to trust in Jesus and to be transparent with Jesus. And the last thing we see, the third characteristics we see in the woman who's, being, who's acting like a childlike faith is carefree. This woman didn't care about several items in this setting. She could care less what the Pharisee thought about her or what the Pharisee spoke about her. She could care Less. You know, it gets to that point to where when you're ready to walk behind door or open door number four, it comes to the point where I could care less what people think. I could care less. I'm walking down the aisle, whether, whether you know, physically you know, or, or, or spiritually. I'm coming to Jesus. I am walking across that line of decision to finally say, it doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what people say. I've got to do this. That's what it takes. She didn't, she didn't care about what people thought of her lifestyle. She didn't care what people were saying under their breath because they were talking. Trust me, they were talking. 
And she also didn't care how expensive that perfume costs. Didn't care one bit. She might have been saving that for a special moment. Oh, but this was the special moment. You know, children, children are very carefree. They don't care what people think. <laughs> they, they, have, they have no concept of time. They, they, they live in the moment. They really, don't, they really don't live beyond what's in the moment. Little, little children, they don't, they're, they're in this moment right here. No concept of time and in this moment. And they don't really have an idea of what things cost. They just don't. And that's fine. But when you approach Jesus, when you finally come to Jesus, that's how you got to come as a childlike faith. It's like it doesn't matter what things cost. It doesn't matter what the cost is for me. It doesn't matter what I have to lay down to follow Jesus. It just doesn't matter because I'm carefree. I don't care what people think. I don't care how much things cost. I'm following Jesus. One of our, um, I mean, all, all of our kids have, have had this sort of carefree lifestyle, especially obviously when they're young, of not really knowing how, you know, how expensive things are and not understanding that. But there's, uh, there's one, of, one of our kids in particular, uh, Lawson, who uh, he likes to give things away. He just does. That's his heart. And so Lawson will just, he, he'll buy things, with his own lunch money for people, or, he'll, or he will give clothing away, or he'll do whatever it takes to make sure people are taken care of. Why? Because he doesn't really care about the cost. He doesn't really care about the cost. He wants to make sure that people are taken care of and that people have what they need. And that's usually common for kids who've, who've been brought into a home, into a family, and they've been taken care of for them to kind of do the same thing. He's got a great, huge heart for that. But if you, if you want to go through this door, door number four, then you must be carefree. Who cares what people think? Who cares what people are going to say? Who cares all it would cost to open that door? Sure, it may cost you some friends. Oh, yeah. That's probably a good thing. It would cost you some friends. It might cost you your certain reputation. But that probably needs a change as well. Who cares? Be like a child. Live in the moment. In the moment that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. Because this door, this door is ready. This door is ready for you to walk through.
But you've got you've to trust in Jesus. Trust him with your heart. Trust him with your life, just like this woman. He's not going to ridicule you. He's not going to think you're foolish. Just trust in him. And be transparent. Don't try to filter your life. Don't try to be someone you're not. Come to him just as you are. And then be carefree. No matter what it costs, it doesn't matter what it costs, you're going to follow Jesus, whatever the cost. Because he, he paid a tremendous price for you, for your freedom. But he's knocking on this door. He is. He's knocking on all these doors. But the door that opens is a door you finally get to. Door number four. Did you catch the parable in the middle of the story that we read about the woman? He kind of slipped one in there. It talks about two debtors, people who owed money. And if you were to put those amounts that Jesus talks about in today's economy, one debt is worth $1.2 million. Now, that's a lot of money. I don't know many people that have $1.2 million. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know people personally. I don't know their cell number who probably owns that kind of money. But I definitely don't know anyone who owes that kind of money. While the other debtor owed about 10000 Now, 10000 is something that you, could, you can conceivably pay off. Some of you, some of us, we, we, we have $10,000, whether it be in a house or a car, you know, or whatever. And that's, that's a little bit more easy to kind of pay off. But $1.2 million? Whoa, that's a lot. Some of you here today are watching online. You may feel like, man, my debt of sin, it's a $1.2 million dollars worth of debt that I've just been living my life. There's no way I'm going to be able to do some things in my life to make up for the debt. And you know what? You're 100% correct. There's nothing you can do except open the door. Jesus already told you that parable that's in the Bible for you and, and me. That's in the Bible. Jesus already told you in that parable. Look, if you feel like your debt of sin is worth $1.2 million and you've got to do some things in your life to sort of make up for that, which that's not the gospel. But all right, let me, let me walk with you through this. If, if you feel like that you have to do certain things, I, I'm already telling you, I'm going to forgive that like that. There's nothing that those debtors in that story had to do but just to be, to trust, be transparent, and go before the one who could take care of the debt.
So it doesn't matter where your debt of sin is, is worth a 10000 or $1.2 million. Jesus is ready to take care of it. And there's nothing you can do. No matter amount of works, good deeds, it doesn't matter. You're not going to take care of it. Whether it's $5 or $5 billion, you can't take care of it. Only Jesus can. I love the words in this, in this hymn. This old hymn that I used to sing, I used to lead. And um, it, it goes like this. And some of you may know this hymn. And it goes like this. He paid a debt he did not owe. He, he paid it on the cross, the crimson blood of Jesus. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt that I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing that brand new song, Amazing Grace. For Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. You, you, you can't take care of that debt. That debt of sin, many people try. And because of that, they're still hiding behind door number one, door number two, or door number three. They're still hiding behind those doors of self-sufficiency, of shame, and of skepticism, blind skepticism. They can't seem to open those doors because they're trying to take care of the debt themselves. Jesus said, look, just open the door. Trust me. Be transparent. It just don't care what people think. Don't care what, what the cost is. Don't, don't worry about that. I'll take care of it. So this series, Doors, is all pointing to the final one. This door, as Jesus said in, in the passage in Mark chapter 10, you've got to come to him as a child. Anyone who does not come to him as a childlike faith, they can't do it. So be like the adult woman who came to him as a child. Open that door and let Jesus in. He's ready to come in and be with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Um, we, we are um, in a moment where we get to um, have an opportunity to let Jesus do some work in our heart and our life. And you may have know, you may know someone in, uh, in, in your life that you, you may have been praying for. There are people, there are some family members that I, I've been praying for that maybe, maybe they're going to watch this a little bit later on and that might be watching it now. But that they need to open the door as a child and let Jesus come in. And maybe you know someone in your life and you've been praying. Pray for that person right now. Pray for that person right now. And if you're here today or watching online, you could be that person. Maybe you're listening online. Maybe the tears are just flowing and you just got to 
You got to stop what you're doing. You got to stop the treadmill. You got to pull the car over. Whatever it takes, it's time for you to walk um, up to the door, open the doorknob, and trust in Jesus. Be transparent with your sin and be carefree. It doesn't matter what people think. So we're going to give you that opportunity right now. So if you want to accept Christ as Savior, we're going to do this. And so it just takes a simple prayer, something like this. Just read out to me. Say, Heavenly Father, I'm tired of trying to pay my debt. I'm tired of hiding behind doors. I'm ready to open the door that you're knocking on. So right now, I open the door of my heart. Come in. I trust you. I'm being transparent before you. No more filters. No more pretending. And I don't care what people think. I don't care the cost. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Be my Savior. Please forgive me my sin. That's all it takes. Thank you for saving me. And if you're here today and you you know someone who needs to open that door, just pray for them right now. Lift them up in prayer. In just a moment here, the, uh, the band's going to lead in a song. It's a song that talks about the goodness of the Father. But in order to understand his goodness, you've got to trust him to fly you into the air and land on a couch. <laughs> and you've got to be transparent with him. Just be real. Let down the filters and just come before him. So we're going to ask the band to play. We're going to ask everyone to stand. I'm going to be here at the altar. Whether you need to come down here and pray or pray for someone else, or if you're at home and if you want to pray for someone else, if you want to just have this time of a prayer, just make sure that you and God are correct and that you and God are right and are aligned through the cross of Jesus.